this episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Useful Corruption. Hey, do you happen to be a corrupt politician who has $100 million or so lying under your bed or $50 million in the guest bathroom? How about considering Useful Corruption? Invest your stolen funds in local businesses at reasonable interest rates and make that money work for you while you make your money work for the people. Useful corruption. Stealing. That helps. Podcast or this podcast helps or anybody affiliated with this podcast does not in any way endorse or encourage money laundering. Hello, welcome to Pod Save Africa, the podcast about the African continent from the African perspective. I'm your host, Akande Adairle, and we have a very fascinating episode today. I'm trying something a little bit new. From my conversations with people and feedback from a lot of my least listeners, I have decided, or I've come to an understanding better still, that we are oftentimes quite detached from news about our countries and about the African continent, either because we live on the continent and we're only bombarded with news about our specific countries or, or about, you know, the Western world, or we live in the Western world and the news bubble keeps us pretty much engaged 24 seven. My goal is to use this monthly podcast, this monthly African news update to keep you informed and to hopefully bring us closer together as a people by understanding the various issues we're experiencing in our various countries. So I'm going to structure this in a 10 point format. So I'm going to have 10 news updates for you once a month um, that will hopefully keep you informed about everything that's going on on the African continent. So we'll start with uh, number 10. On topic 10, China has announced plans to open its first overseas military base in Djibouti. Um, So this this deal specifically allows the presence of up to 10,000 soldiers in the country uh, until 2026. So that's a a nine-year deal. Um, One thing I'm going to do while I share the news as well is I'm going to give you also, a little bit of my perspective on perhaps the influences and relevance of, of these news items. So, most of us are aware of China's continual engagement with Africa, either through infrastructural development, investments, and all of the above, and, and through trade deals. China is actually the continent's largest trading partner, if you didn't know that. Um, this is important because now this, this essentially marks a shift in that relationship, that it's no longer just economic, that... Africa is being engaged with as a, at best, strategic military partner. At, at least Djibouti is being engaged as a military partner or, um, in the worst case, uh, a, a military enforcement system is being impl- implemented in, on the African continent. So... Um, watch out for that. Uh, I think that's going to be news that's going to be continually relevant over the next couple of years, especially as we as a continent start to develop more with our infrastructure and to grow as a, as a, as a continent. 
Next thing on the list is that uh, Reuters reports that the Ugandan government, this is topic nine, by the way, Reuters reports that the Ugandan government plans to go ahead with scrapping the presidential age limit, despite a lot of op opposition. The age limit is currently 75 years old. Um, what's currently happening is that I believe it's going to go to a vote in their legislative body. And uh, the government has put support behind scrapping the limit. Uh, apparently, the current president is nearing that limit. So there's a there's, of course, the perspective that this is essentially a ploy just to keep the man in office for even longer. Um, the relevance here is that we've run into very many problems with leaders who refuse to, to, to leave at the opportune time. And then, you know, I think it's a an indication of good leadership if a leader is able to prepare people to lead after him, prepare people that would contest in elections. No matter how good you uh, administer your agenda as a president or as a nation leader, if you don't have anybody in the pipeline to replace you, you haven't done a good job. And deciding to stay for another set of years or another term is just indicative of your failure to lead properly, if anything. Um, so watch out for that. Uh, hopefully that doesn't become a long-term problem with a, a uh, president who decides to overstay his welcome, as, as we would put it. Topic eight is the Gambian president Adama Barrow has set up a commission to look into the assets of the former leader Yaya Jame. So if uh, you, this is reported by the BBC World Service, by the way, uh, if you are familiar with the story in uh, Gambia, uh, yeah, Jam Jame was the president, the uh, former president. He led for about 22 years. Uh, he an ele and a democratic election happened uh, a little while ago. I'm not exactly sure when. And he lost the election to who is the current president, Adama Barrow. Uh, he subsequently refused to step down. Uh, he At first, he said he was going to step down. Then he refused. Um, but pressure by the very many African nations who came together to put military pressure, potentially, the threat of military pressure on him um, led to him stepping down and eventually leaving the country. So now this new story says that they are investigating him for allegedly stealing about $5 million, effectively, you know, stealing and baiting, stealing the money and running, effectively, when he ran, he left. So um, I think there are two interesting things that are relevant in this story. First of all, that African unity definitely has a power, at least politically. Um, our ability now to put pressure on each other as nations to make sure and ensure that we're doing the right thing, especially in the case of elections. If somebody runs for election, loses, decides to stay, that could lead to violence. But if in the case here, the other African countries came together and said, oh, you know, if you don't, if you don't step down um, or if you don't leave the post, we will take the post from you effectively. So that's that's important. Um, the the there are nuances to this case that are perhaps unique. The elections were generally free and fair by international observers. That doesn't always happen. Um, international observers are not always allowed to come and observe the elections or to verify or even sometimes they, they, they're there, but they don't think the elections are free and fair. So this is unique in that. Um, and I think uh, Yaya Jama himself thought at the time that he was definitely going to win. Um, he was rightfully surprised when he lost. Um, so, you know, his change of heart was perhaps an indication of the fact that he was so sure that he was going to win. And then 
um, all of that changed very suddenly for him. Um, but, you know, it, it is still indicative of the, of the power of African countries coming together. Um, however, uh, this Gambia had a smaller force, so it wasn't it was unlikely that even the military force of Gambia would have been able to stand up against a uh, combined force of the many other countries that were standing against him. So um, hopefully there is never a situation where a country with a bigger military force that can handle itself uh, has such a, a, a situation. But um, it is fantastic because at this point now we have more democratically elected leaders in the African continent than we than we didn't in the past. So that's perhaps a long-term indicator of how the trends are on the continent and um, and how we're we're moving towards a better form of government, a better model of government. Um, it might not be the best, but at least one that, that works much better than what we've experienced in the past. So up to uh, topic seven, uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has been under a lot of scrutiny. This is reported by the Boston pilot. pilot for identifying that Africa's uh, development problem is because of overpopulation. His specific words effectively uh, said that um, we pretty much have too much, too many children. If I were to paraphrase, we have too many children, so that's why we're underdeveloped. Um, now, there, there are a couple of problems with, the, with this perspective. Um, first of all, it's, it's first of all indicative of a lack of knowledge enough to care. He, he didn't, definitely didn't do research as perhaps an opinion he's had. And yes, that does happen, but you know, it's as a result of lack of access to birth control and to women's services and in a lot of places on, on the African continent. It's not like everybody just want to have wants to have the alleged seven or eight kids. Um, there's no culture there's I don't think there's much of a cultural uh, insinuation that says that we should all have a lot of kids. I don't know if anybody's culture and you can tell me if your culture uh, mandates that you, you should have a lot of kids, but I don't think that's the case. So his his comments were very uh, ignorant, uh, and, and it's really unfortunate for somebody who's a modern, quote-unquote, leader who's uh, younger, who recently won election on on a relatively pro progressive agenda. Um, it's just it's just bad to see his perspective on Africa in uh, that way. Also, it's, it's it, it, the problem with this perspective is that it dehumanizes us. It makes our lack of development primarily our fault when he literally rules a, a nation who colonized and, and, and stole resources from uh, very many of, of the African, many African countries. So it's, it's a, it's pushing the blame on the victim. Again, um, we do, we are responsible for some of our problems, but that's, that's a, that's a simplification that does us no justice and, and uh, doesn't accept any blame for their big part and uh, the issues that many African countries currently currently face. Um, and, and if I were to just harken back historically, just so you're aware, um, I was listening to another uh, podcast about um, Winston Churchill and his best friend, and, and, and they, it's called the Winston Churchill's Secret War. Um, during the World War, uh, a, you know, hundreds of thousands slash millions, and maybe a lot of Indians... Uh, died due to effectively uh, government-sanctioned starvation uh, by the by the British government um, because he had this poor perspective that you know that the Indians were the cause of their own problems, particularly referencing almost uncannily similar to Macron's comments 
uh, that that they had too many children. So just a little bit of a real back on the history historical timeline. Um, just so you guys pay attention to that, you know, when people start to say that it's your own fault because you have too many children, it's usually because they're trying to dehumanize the the uh, the population in question. So terrible job, Macron. Do do better and uh, really do better. And not just in the way you talk. There are many things you can do better. Anyways, on to topic six, infrastructure. Um, so this is going to be just rooting up some bullet points on things happening in infrastructure on the continent. Um, Uganda is planning a bus rapid transport system for Kampala to decongest it. That's fantastic. It's a it's a system that's worked in many African countries and even in many other countries like Brazil all over the world. Um, the Business Day reports that Africa as a whole loses up to 5% of its GDP just because of weak infrastructure. Um, I honestly would have been able to bet that it's more than that because... Um, a, a lot of economic development and a lot of economic progress is dependent on access, ability to get from a shipping, uh, a, places that, a place that manufactures something to the place that will ship them to other countries, things like that. Um, the next point was that is that ex external support is being ramped up for financial support for African infrastructure projects. The African Development Bank at the uh, at their recent conference spoke about this and, and, and actually highlighted a few countries that are trying to get other countries to invest in African African uh, infrastructure projects. The reason, reason being that uh, regional, integration, regional integration is being uh, uh, hindered by the lack of infrastructure, um, of good infrastructure. I mean, it's not that infrastructure does not exist. It's just not good enough. Um, this is generally good um it could also be bad depending on what that financial support buys for those countries um is it a partnership out of oh we just want to help or is it more a uh quid pro quo you you do this for us and we do this for you or well we give you this money so that you can do this for you or do and then do uh african countries as a result lose autonomy because of these uh, these financial support. So those are just some things to think about. Now, I'd like to take a real quick break in the episode to uh, play some comments from the African Development Business Conference. Um, these com comments are by the finance minister of South Africa. His name is Pavin, um, Pavin Gord. Gordon, Gordon, Pravin, Pravin Gordon. Um, I, I struggled with that name a little bit. Um, he's the he's the fin minister of finance for South Africa at this time, and he I think his comments at this conference were very good as far as charting a mission statement for the way we should develop and advance as a as a continent and and the things we should be worried about as a result. It's just a short two minute clip, clip and um. And I just want uh, to to give you guys that as something to think about. Hesitant about saying we will. I think we need to be positive. Uh, the opportunities are there. We need to say, as uh, we would say in South Africa, let's give it our best shot and uh, try to overcome those challenges that are correctly identified. One can't deny them. Uh, and and uh, mobilize both the young people and others within our societies to start believing in themselves. Uh, the, the challenge for us is that the international discourse is still dominated by, let's call it, Western media. 
And I think many in the Western media actually see Africa as a potential challenge 10, 15 years from now. So start shooting it down now. And the challenge for all of us is to start a narrative which says we can develop different options and better options than the world has been able to provide until now. We can develop options uh, that will indeed give hope to young people, but also create uh, models that uh, don't result in the same inequality that we see elsewhere in the world. Uh, but it does mean that we need to uh, challenge ourselves as well uh, in, in ensuring that we don't just mimic other people's models, uh, but make more conscious efforts at creating models that uh, reduce inequality and don't repeat inequality. Recognize that technology is very useful, but I think the West is also beginning to realize that technology, particularly over-mechanization of economies, means less jobs. So we need to find some different answer, uh, not the kind of answer that developed uh, economies have actually found. And at the end of the day, uh, challenges mean there's uh, work to do and work for us to do together. Uh, and if we can successfully uh, put aside our individual differences as countries and uh, as different uh, levels of leaders, I think we have a huge success story ahead of us. Okay, so... so uh Okay, so welcome back to the episode uh, on topic five and our countdown. The Guardian reports that scores of Nigerians, and these are Bakasi indigents, were killed due to disagreements over boat levies. So lots of them were fishermen. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory into the Bakasi uh, Peninsula. Peninsula? Wow, peninsula. I struggled with that. Anyways, the, the Bakasi Peninsula was a piece of land. It's a peninsula. Um, it's geographically between Nigeria and Cameroon. If you look at the map, it's probably a little closer to Cameroon. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but there has there was a famous legal conflict between Nigeria and Cameroon over the Bakasi Penins Peninsula. Bakasi Peninsula. That was eventually passed in the way of Cam Cameroon. So that part, that peninsula is now Cam Cameroon saw. Um, so, but, you know... It's the problem always happens when you draw borders over places and name them countries is that, you know, you could wake up one day and find out that where you are is no longer your country. It might be another country. And a lot of the Nigerians who lived on the Bakasi side on the Bakasi Peninsula found that they were um, they're now they now live in Cameroon. So that has caused, of course, some friction. Um, now, it didn't have to lead to people being killed, and, and the Nigerian government is actually currently investigating the issue. But um, what what tends to happen is that nationalism always uh, becomes a re-emerging re, re, re issue, and um, people of a certain country are, are convinced that people from a different place, minorities from a different place are of some kind of danger to them or are stealing their resources or, or something like that. And, and that's rarely ever the case. Um, people that come to develop and people who come and run businesses and are helping and are working hard, they're adding value. They're not taking it away. Um, and even if they get to benefit from the, from the total goods of the society, I, I'm fairly certain that they're always contributing more, or at least they deserve to because they're contributing, contributing like everybody else. Um, uh, just because you might have a passport doesn't make you necessarily uh, less less valid or more valid than, than another person. 
sorry for my spiel there, but um, topic five, sorry, topic four. As many of you may be aware, uh, a rift between the president and vice president of South Sudan led to a conflict that's effectively a civil war. It's coming to a new uh, development as the uh, government forces are now approaching the headquarters of the rebel army. Um, if, if you're not aware, there's been a lot of violence in South Sudan. It's one, it's the newest country in Africa. Um, at its inception, uh, the, the uh, two opposing people, but were came together to form a government, um, that broke down and has led to a f- fierce, uh, civil war. Um, and, and this is a nation that should be focusing on rebuilding. Um, so it's, it's really something that we should focus on as far as, um, some of the struggles that happen when nations break into pieces. And they did for, for fairly relevant and, and definitely understandable reasons. They, they were also down before, but now they're South Sudan. Um, but I think that we need to, to be, be more attentive to uh, significant issues of violence. You know, rarely ever are numbers recorded for uh, things like this happening on the African continent, but they're probably significant. Um, I, I believe that the one of the, the rebel leader has also fled the country, but his forces are still fighting. Um, just, just, it's just something to pay attention to. On topic three, thousands of citizens of Ethiopia and Saudi Arabia are working on leaving the country as Saudi Arabia launched a new program called um, Nation Without Violation. And this, this is pretty much a, an ultimatum that gives all undocumented immigrants in the country 90 days to leave with no penalty. So that probably means that after the 90 days expires, they're going to be mass deportations and, and all of the above. So a lot of people are trying to leave um, that country at this time. So it's something to pay attention to. Um, it's probably news that hit went up way under the radar. radar. Um, so, so just uh, pay attention to that. Um, now on topic two, um, this is coming out of Rwanda. The justice minister has asked the media to cooperate with the police in, in uh, curbing sensationalism that might incite violence during the elections. This is being reported by the New Times. And, and by the way, a lot of my content for this episode has been sourced from uh, the BBC, um, CNN Africa, uh, allafrica.com, um, This Day, The Guardian. So just those are just news websites where... Um, if you're interested in learning about the continent from a big view, looking at multiple countries at the same time, uh, they're fantastic places to look at. Um, and yes, so back to this. The justice minister has asked the media to cooperate with the police in curbing sensationalism that might incite violence during the elections. This is a statement by Justin Justice Minister Johnston Busingye. I, I, I probably messed up that name and I apologize really. Um, and if, if you know the correct pronunciation, please feel free to send that to me. Um, this, this could, this could go one of two ways, right? Um, Rwanda is first of all, one of the countries that I think a lot of us should emulate in our various countries as far as advancement and, uh, and progress. They've made so much progress, more progress than most African countries have made over the past five years slash decade. But this particular thing could either could be worrying because um, it it might be a step in creating a semblance of media control, telling the media that, you know, don't say things that are bad against us, that that kind of 
um, state control media should be worried about, you know, media should should not say certain types of things and, and uh, journalistic uh, a limitation of free speech. Um, so it's a fine line. However, it could also just be um, just encouraging professional responsibility from the media and journalism. So it's asking media outlets not to just outrightly lie or to say things that are false just to incite just to get clicks that that might actually cause violence so it, it could be one of two ways um it's just something to watch for um it, it's important that our generation of people are very attentive to things like this because um you know most most pe- most most things that spiral out into controlling governments and all the above if you look at it in recent times like turkey and such are usually democratically elected and have some at some point been sanctioned by the people. So we need to be very careful that we do not let um, governments make even the smaller tilts towards being authoritarian, right? And then the final one, Ethiopian one, uh, topic one, it's about Ethiopia. Um, Ethiopia is, is having a, this is reported by the Ethiopian Herald, so... It's definitely a tilted perspective. You should pay it to be aware of that. And um, Ethiopia essentially is talking tough on the Eritrean regime. They are saying that uh, it's time for the countries in that area to take a tougher stance towards Eritrea because they feel like Eritrea is not cooperating with the countries in that East African region with regards to building a integrating those countries and building partnerships with the countries. They believe that Eritrea is specifically being belligerent. Um, that's an interesting perspective, but um, it's uh, it's perhaps another another perspective, too, is that it's another stage in the and continual animosity between Ethiopia and its Eritrea and its primary neighbor, Ethiopia. Another one of the the. Uh, issues that Ethiopia mentioned where it was that, you know, they feel like Eritrea is creating conditions that make it good for or easy for uh, insurgency to grow in that area and are perhaps contributing towards or supporting the insurgency um, below the book. So, and that's all for your news update. I will end this one with a another uh, short clip from the African development bank and uh, I found it fascinating and I think it's, it's perhaps a call to action or, or a moment of hope for us as Africans of all ages and this but especially so for young Africans I will I hope you've enjoyed this episode um, it's been your host Akande Aderili and I hope you've enjoyed the news update don't forget to share like subscribe and rate me on iTunes please I'd appreciate that. It helps other people find the podcast. Tell your friends about your about the podcast. Tell your friends' friends about the podcast. I have a lot of exciting content coming up in the next couple of weeks. I really appreciate your help and support. I really appreciate you listening in every week. And uh, have a wonderful and fantastic day. Bye. Young people are really different from our generation. They are better educated. And they are... Uh, better connected with each other and uh, they're not afraid and they have no they have no much respect for us actually we have to admit that